Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome into another episode of Brewcast. Ready to talk some football with you. I'm Luke Gary, now joined by Chris Castellani. No Anthony Baruch tonight. Uh, hoping to get Anthony back for next week's show. But we are back. We had a one-week hiatus, but really good to be back and talk some football. Chris, how are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well, brother. It's... Uh... It's been an interesting couple of weeks of Michigan football for sure. De- definitely a, uh, a kind of Jekyll and Hyde uh, type of uh, performance, at least uh, at the start of uh, the last two games. But uh, they find themselves you know, uh, where they should be uh, with the, the record that they're taking care of business uh, in some some ways uh, more dominant than others. And uh, – that Nebraska game was definitely uh, – or I'm sorry, the Northwestern game was definitely not uh, what uh, we expected it to be, but thankfully they uh, averted disaster. And you know what's interesting is that Nebraska game, you probably would have been you know, right in saying that it wasn't necessarily what we expected going into that one. I mean, I thought Michigan was going to beat Nebraska fairly handily, but I mean, that was just complete and utter domination of the Cornhuskers, you know, and that kind of caught me by surprise a little bit because Michigan came and just completely out-physicaled Nebraska, and we haven't seen Michigan do that on the offensive side anyway, you know, too many times in the last couple of years. Yeah, it was a lot of fun, and it, it, if there was a game, it reminded me of some of the games in 2016, like uh, the Maryland game that year or the, uh, the even the Penn State game where they just came out and just imposed their will right off the get-go. And, uh, I mean, really, Northwestern uh, threw a pick in the first drive, and then the game was over. Uh, Michigan just steamrolled. It, it was such a such a dominating uh, or such such a dominant performance that you, you, we I I had no idea that Rayshon Gary didn't play the last like two and a half quarters of that game. It, it was it just was just a complete dominant effort on I'd say both ends, but they dominated special teams as well, and uh, it it led to uh, what what we kind of thought would be a much easier. Uh, game than it was against uh, Northwestern. Yeah, that that kind of threw me off. And even going back to that Nebraska game, you know, it kind of made you forgot that 
forget that Kalik Hudson wasn't playing in the first half against Nebraska as well, you know, and it was just completely dominating. And I guess that's why I find it so weird that Michigan came out so flat against Northwestern. And I kind of want to start there with the sense that, you know, Michigan at home, save for the SMU game, you know, they ended up imposing their will in that one, but uh, dominated Western Michigan, dominated Nebraska at the big house. But their two road games this year, Chris, uh, they came out completely flat. Yeah, I mean, flat is uh, the perfect word for it because it's not just – obviously the, the, the score uh, indicates their performance. They were down by two touchdowns or, or more. Uh, in in both of their road games, but there just seems to be a, uh, a it's why flat is the right word because there just seems to be a real lack of almost energy coming out of the get go. I mean, Northwestern uh, every year, whether they're uh, good, bad, or mediocre, uh, Pat Fitzgerald has those guys ready to play, and it took Michigan a long time just to wake up in that game, let alone. Uh, match the intensity that Northwestern uh, was bringing. It, it was, and it's something that's gonna be a part of this team's storyline for the next. Uh, I mean, it for the rest of the Harbaugh era uh, until they win a big game on the road. This was a nice road win, but it wasn't a big road win. And, and I think their next uh, road game is against Michigan State. And as well, I. Th- I don't know about you, but once again, I see Michigan State being looking completely unimpressive. But uh, knowing it's a rivalry game and knowing the way Michigan's looked on the road, uh, getting off to a bad start, uh, will they can't dig themselves that big of a hole uh, ever again, uh, whether it's against MSU or whether it's against uh, Ohio State. They barely got away with it uh, against Northwestern, but uh, thankfully – uh, the defense was just awesome in the second half, and the offense rallied just enough uh, to get Michigan a three-point win. Yeah, I don't know what the exact stat is, but I thought I saw that after the first quarter, uh, Michigan's defense held Northwestern to something like 93 yards for the rest of the game. I mean, an absolutely dominating performance, but I'm still worried that you know, in the first quarters against Northwestern and Notre Dame, they were outscored twenty-four to nothing. Yeah, and what I mean, how far? What was the deficit against Notre Dame at one point? Was it seventeen nothing or fourteen nothing? I I know it was fourteen nothing for sure. I'm not sure if it ever got to seventeen. It well, either way, I mean, they that's uh, two road games where. Before you score a point, you're down a combined 31 or 34 to nothing. I mean, that's uh, that's insane. And I can't – it's very difficult to explain. I don't think you can call on lack of experience anymore. Uh, I, I There's really no explanation for it except they just look really, really flat. And this is this stems back to last year. They've came out flat in, in road games last year, and you know at, at some point it it falls on the players, but it also falls on you know the coaching staff and getting these guys ready to go, especially for a Northwestern team that you knew was going to come out and give you your best shot. And I understand Michigan's coming off a huge win against Nebraska, and you know Northwestern's a team that lost to Akron, which again makes this all seem so uh, unexpected. I mean, Northwestern lost to Akron. And yeah. they came out, and they were putting it to Michigan. Yeah, and that, that to to me is the, or I'm sorry, to me the more unexplainable thing, because we've seen the offense multiple times in the Harbaugh era uh, start slow. That's not as surprising. I'm just I'm very perplexed by the fact that now twice this year this defense, which we know has the ability to shut down opponents has come out twice on the road and gotten punched in the mouth. It, it's very strange to me that did, the, and then responding by looking great for three quarters. It, it, it's, it throws it, me off. Yeah, because uh, it doesn't uh, – maybe uh, the, these these teams they're going up against on the road are just coming out with game plans Michigan didn't expect. But I think back to the Notre Dame game where Chase Winovich uh, said after the game they didn't do anything – 
that we didn't see coming. We just kind of had to shrug our shoulders and say, all right, next drive. Uh, obviously, I'm paraphrasing there, but it's it, it was very surprising. Uh, the And it continues to be very surprising, the kind of Jekyll and Hyde mentality that this team is showing defensively early in games. And and like you said, the surprising part is it's not like Michigan, you know, lacks the talent or the scheme, the game plan to not be dominant because they were dominant against Notre Dame, you know, pretty much after the first quarter and dominant against Northwestern after the first quarter. I mean, they have completely shut down those two offenses, but after the first quarter, so getting off to a hot start, but if you do that, against Wisconsin, you do that against Michigan State, and you do that against Ohio State. I'm not sure this offense is built for comebacks against those teams, but I also do want to say that um, on the positive side, it showed me something that that Michigan got punched in the mouth and came back and was able to come back from a 17-point deficit and, and get a road win. This is a league where, you know, I'm cut from the cloth that this is a league where there are no bad uh, road wins, you know, I there are some wins that are better than others, but I don't think there's a bad road win out there in the Big Ten. Yeah, I mean, it it was made impressive because of how unimpressive they were, and I know that sounds strange, but because of how bad they started, uh, and it, it the win almost looks better when you consider the fact, yeah, they came back from 17 points down. That's on the road. That's really impressive, and when you now, was a lot of that their own doing? Yeah, absolutely. But they still came back. They still made the plays necessary. And I think it was the first uh, real defining moment, I guess. And it's hard to really use those words. And and no no disrespect to Northwestern, but it's kind of hard to use those words in a game like that. But it was kind of Shea Patterson's first big moment uh, as a Michigan quarterback. And it's the first time in a while. I mean, several years where we've seen uh, a Michigan quarterback go out and win a ball game. Now, obviously, there were m- several other major contributing factors, Higdon uh, having a big game, but uh, I think the play of the game and the play where I fully became confident, okay, they're going to end up winning this, was Shea scramble on third down and six uh, at around the 50 Uh which gave, where they got a first down, and then uh, I think it might have been the next play or two plays later, he hit Gentry, uh, you know, for uh, right close to the goal line, and then I, they scored two plays later after that. I think um, that added element of Shea's game, I think more and more is creeping into the offense and becoming a part of the off offense, which I think is is a necessity for several reasons. One, with Chris Evans being out. Uh, I, you can't rely completely on Karan Higdon to carry the team, uh, at least at the running back position. And two, because I just think we, the team is better when, when the ball's in Shea's hand more often. And uh, I think what he was able to do with his legs was uh, probably the biggest difference maker uh, as far as that comeback is concerned. Karan Higdon was fantastic, but that was a classic Shea Patterson put the game on his back and willed this team to victory. And I can't say enough about Karan Higdon, but like you just said, man, some of the scrambles and some of the throws he was making because it would have been very easy for Shea to get down because there were a lot of Michigan drops, you know, obviously the McCune drop uh, in the first half uh, that would have, you know, when they were down, what, 10 nothing at that point. Um, and then the plethora of holding calls on huge plays that Shea made. You know, he was getting frustrated, but he kept with it. And, you know, obviously, can we just talk about real quick before we give any more analysis that the hold on Karan Higdon might have been the worst call I've ever seen in football? Uh, It's up there. It's up there. I just wish I could get... And there's no explanation where I'll be able to say, okay, it was a hold. It wasn't, it wasn't a hold. It wasn't even close. But I, it's one of those times where, and I, I honestly wish they would do this for every, and I know it's not possible, but for every penalty after every game, some sort of explanation for uh, why the penalty was called. And I would love, I, I don't think we've gotten any sort of explanation yet as to what, <laughs> what the meaning was 
behind a call that right away, I mean, it, the, everyone could tell was just atrocious. Um, I, I don't, you know, I've, I'm, I, I'll never be one of those people who who's, uh, blames the refs for a game, but I, it's, I just think it was one of those examples of incompetent officiating. And especially on the road, you have to deal with that sometimes. But we, I've brought this up in, in the past. I don't know if I've done it on, on this podcast. But you know, for a team that it has made a lot of dumb mistakes and inconsistent quarterback play or poor coaches in the past, Michigan football's had some bad luck too. And stuff like that, stuff the calls like that or in you know, Kind of, kind of reinforce uh, that statement, but once again, they were able to bounce back from it. And uh, even though that play didn't count, uh, that that hold, um, that w- that was another example of Shea using his legs to create something. And I like the more kind of read option looks that we're getting uh, in that offense. And you know, it's almost coming out of desperation at times and maybe the coaching staff is is you know saying hey our best offense is is when we spread it out and we give Shay the option to hand it off you know take a look at that defensive end run some read options maybe some RPOs and I understand the thinking that they're going to continue to want to throw body punches especially uh, against some of the upcoming teams and try and wear the defenses down a little bit but you have to also be able to uh, you have to be able to adjust on the fly because Michigan was down 17 nothing you know and, and if they do that against Michigan State Penn State Wisconsin or Ohio State it's not going to be as easy to come back because i don't know if the defense can dominate those offenses quite like they're able to dominate you know northwestern or even um Notre Dame with with Winbush if he had books out there i mean I, that might be a different story week 1 that might not be a 7 point loss for the Wolverines you know that might be far more yeah no you're absolutely right and that's going to be the storyline to look at the rest of the way for Michigan uh is uh how they come out on the road if they can play I still I still don't think they've played four great quarters of football yet now Nebraska was close Nebraska was might might have been four great quarters uh but I don't know maybe Besides that, I mean, you have to take into account the fact that Nebraska just stinks on ice skates. But uh, <laughs> I, I think, it, unlike last year's team, to a, to a point, and unlike twenty sixteen, I'm uh, this uh, this version of Michigan football is getting better as the season's going on. Which absolutely, which is something that we haven't seen. Uh, under Harbaugh since his first year there. I think that the um, offense we saw on Saturday, uh, with, I, as Harbaugh's becoming more and more comfortable with Shea Patterson at quarterback, we're seeing the playbook being opened up. And, and um, I mean, that bodes, that bodes really well for a team that after next week um, – is going to have uh, you know that that hellish stretch that they're going to have to go through, and hopefully uh, it'll come at a point where they're playing their best base or <laughs> best baseball. Sorry, Cubs game was on playing their best. Got, football. <laughs> got baseball on the mind with the postseason beginning, but Shea Patterson, I think is is going to be. See, here's the thing, you know, when you look at it right now, we're only five games into the season. Shea Patterson is completing sixty eight point five percent of his passes at. In 8.15 yards per attempt, he's already got 905 yards, seven touchdowns, just two interceptions. And I think he's only going to get better as the year moves on and as the offense continues to grow and expand. And they're they're still going to look the same, but I really do believe that this coaching staff is going to start taking more and more shots, taking more and more, you know, not spread looks so much, but more to create space for Shea Patterson, for Karan Higdon, instead of that power football that we've seen you know against some of the inferior teams Michigan's played so far and that really bodes well for Michigan and they're still flying under the radar and I do like that that Michigan is going to continue to fly under the radar especially after a game like that against Northwestern absolutely and one one thing I want to bring up real quick and this has more to do with the Nebraska game than it does uh the Northwestern game but if you know, God willing, something were to happen 
to Shea. Because especially as a running quarterback or, or, you know, a quarterback that scrambles, you do worry about that. You know, him, not even something serious, but, you know, a rolled ankle or just taking one too many hits uh, where you need to step out a, a couple plays or maybe a drive. Can we both agree that in both times that Dylan McCaffrey has come into, has been thrust into a ball game this year, he's, he's looked great. Like not oh, he's just, looked he's looked fantastic. Not just like backup quarterback good, like like he's could start right now if need be. And, and oh yeah. Yeah, and look and obviously Shea Patterson, this team's quarterback. I'm not even gonna start that discussion. But if something were to happen, I, I early on in the season I thought there's there's no way that this team will be successful if Shea Patterson uh, isn't the quarterback? I, I, I could see this team uh, e- p- possibly even you know winning one of their one of their bigger games like uh, Michigan State or Penn State with uh, McCaffrey at quarterback if need be. Now I don't see that happening. I don't want it to happen, uh, and I don't think it'll happen. But I just wanted to bring that up because I think he uh, for a a roster and a group. Uh, the quarterback, you know, uh, group from last season that was much maligned and rightfully so. It seems like they have two legitimately ready uh, quarterbacks uh, that can come in uh, at you know if at any time if need be. Oh, with without question. And to your point, you know, obviously Shea Patterson has been amazing. There is a portion of the fan base calling for, you know, him to be benched. That's absolutely ridiculous. But you are absolutely right. I mean, Dylan McCaffrey has looked fantastic. He's the future of Michigan football. You know, there's there's no question. Shea is going to go to the NFL presumably after this year. You know, he's going to get drafted high, whether it be, you know, the first round, top half of the first round, bottom half of the first round. He's probably going to go in the first round. And, you know, that was kind of always the thing is, is that this was going to be the year Shea did this year. And it was going to be Dylan McCaffrey's, you know, team after that. And, and we weren't really sure what to expect of McCaffrey, especially because, you know, you take a look, Michigan fans are probably very skeptical, in, including myself, or they were going into this year, especially after what we saw with, you know, uh, Will Spate, Brandon Peters, Brandon Peters wasn't exactly what we, we thought he might be. I mean, he was good. He was much better than O'Corn, but, uh, wasn't ex- exactly, you know, setting the world on fire. But McCaffrey could be that guy, and it seems like, I mean, Shea Patterson and Dylan McCaffrey compared to, I don't know, all three quarterbacks in rotation last year, I mean, it's, it's a night and day difference. Yeah, ab- absolutely, and and it's uh, it, it makes me think that last year, uh, last year's poor group of, uh, of quarterbacks was uh, hopefully just a fluke, and that Harbaugh is still the the QB whisper that people uh, portray him to be because yeah, I, 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 my dad and I were both watching McCaffrey saying this guy, this guy looks like a pro and, and, and that's, it makes uh, in the present time. Will it make that much of a difference? No, Shea Patterson's quarterback and he should be, but you can't help but get excited for the future. No question. And you got to like the security as well, because as we saw last year, I mean, quarterbacks go down. It happens. We hope it doesn't happen to Shea because he's the leader of this team and that guy just willed us to a victory. But to have security, there's nothing wrong with having a little security at the most important position in football. To me, it's a sign of good coaching when you have that uh, and you when you have that next man up uh, mentality or just when you have that have depth at any position. I mean, I remember uh, the night and day difference between hoax last year where he started Shane Morris for a game and it looked like Shane Morris had never played quarterback before. Uh, He just looked completely lost and he was, he was just getting uh, beaten around and he wasn't, he wasn't able to complete just short passes. Whereas the next season, you had that game where Rudock got a concussion against Minnesota. Wilton Spade drove him down the field and won that game. I, there may come a, a point in time where uh, that situation might arise again, and I have full faith that Dylan McCaffrey can be that guy. I mean, you want to talk? I'll never forgive the Hoke staff for turning Devin Gardner into one of from one of the most exciting players into just. I don't even know what they turned him into, but they destroyed Devin Gardner. I will still never forgive them for that. I, I 
look, Devin Gardner, obviously, especially his last year and a half, a, d- a disastrous um, uh, last year or so with, with Michigan. But I still believe and kind of in this way kind of defend him, I still think that there was a really good, fun-to-watch, athletic quarterback in Devin Gardner somewhere. They Oh, no question, and that's what I mean. Like, yeah. they just completely uh, – they had pretty much, you know, a diamond there, and it turned it back into, I don't know, a rock? Yeah, <laughs> well, because that's the thing. When you look at the, like, the highest uh, – like, the, the most – uh, efficient uh, performances by a quarterback in Michigan football history. He has like three of the top five. I mean, against against Indiana that one year with him and Jeremy Gallon against Ohio State when they opened up the field and he threw like 500 yards. Like he he had moments where he would perform when they opened up the offense. The problem was they rarely never did. And they had Nussmeyer in there and and that was just a disaster. So. Uh, Nice to have that that juxtaposition now, knowing, yeah, you know, maybe there is uh, not just one quarterback on the team, but maybe there's two that could realistically do the job. And if you've got a quarterback leading this offense and they really start to find it, which I think they can, you know, I'm hoping that the Northwestern game is an outlier. We're going to find out on Saturday because they've got no cakewalk with Maryland. This is not Maryland, you know, in 2016. This is not Maryland last year that. Um, you know, was playing what their fifth string quarterback pretty yeah. much. Um, this this is going to be a tough test, but at the same time, I mean, you look at what this defense is doing. You know, uh, save for the first quarter, of both the the Notre Dame and the Northwestern games, uh, it, it, it's absolutely kind of astonishing, and it, it's weird because the last three quarters against Northwestern, the last you know second half against Notre Dame, they aspired to be what everyone you me everyone in this Michigan fan base and, and across the country thought that this defense could ascend to yeah I were st- to me the most and I, I point this out a lot but to me the most dominant I've ever seen uh a Michigan defense in the Harbaugh era was the the first game last season against Florida where where that was uh you know if not for self-inflicted wounds offensively by Michigan uh, that probably would have and should have been about a 30, 35 point game. We're still yet to see that type of performance against a really good team. Uh, and hopefully uh, we get to see that, whether it be against Michigan State or, or Wisconsin or, or Penn State. I, I think the, this defense reminds me of uh, 2006, where they. It were just impressive all year, but then there was one the game where they went to Penn State on the road and just absolutely gobsmacked them. I think it was only a, a seven-point game. I think it was 17-10, to 10, but much like when Northwestern got the ball in that last drive, uh, you never had any doubt that Michigan was going to be able to win that ball game because the defense uh, had been so dominant. And uh, they have several guys playing at an extremely high level. I think we'd be remiss if we went without mentioning just how freaking good Chase Winovich is right now. I was just going to bring that up, man. He is uh, he's a one man wrecking crew on a defense that's full of elite talent and elite players. Nine total tackles against Northwestern, eight of them solo, three tackle for losses in a sack. This guy this guy's on another planet than probably anybody in the country right now. And I'll include anyone you've Ed Oliver, I'll include Nick Bosa, even Rashawn Gary. Chase Winovich is an absolute monster right now. Yeah. Uh, and I just like I just like watching him a lot. I like he that dude is just an electric factory, man. I love to see that from uh you know from this offense. Because he's, I and I said we said this in our prediction show, you know, uh, preseason. I felt like he is and and continues to be the heart and soul of that defense. And uh, when he's playing well. Uh, I think you feel uh, a shift in momentum going to Michigan side, and that's what you saw uh, happen last weekend. Chase Winovich was all over the field, uh, and all of a sudden that deficit slowly started to be cut in half, and ultimately Michigan comes back and wins. 
Um, yeah, he's been uh, everything they they've uh, expected him to be, and and way more. Um, and he's you got to believe he is just shooting up draft boards right now. Oh, no question. And, you know, we mentioned the depth at the quarterback position. How about the depth amongst this defensive line? I mean, death taxes and Greg Madison just recruiting elite yeah. defensive linemen and turning them into something special. I mean, how about Quiddy Pay just coming in and getting two sacks once, you know, Rashawn Gary went, went out of the game? Yeah, no, it was it was a really impressive performance all around. And uh yeah, in the in the last three quarters, and I was I was, it's it, it, it comfort is the word that I use when you think of depth because you it, it's uh, there's nothing worse than rooting for a football team or any team and having one player go down and having that feeling like your entire season just ended. Uh, you don't get the you don't get the mentality that that could ever happen with this unit. It seems like there's they're so deep at every position defensively that it doesn't uh who who they put out there uh does doesn't make that much of a difference because they're so well coached, they're well dis they're very disciplined, uh and they're just playing playing at an extremely high level. And there is one cause of concern, obviously, if we're just going to, I got to mention it right now, you know, it is very difficult to play press coverage, man to man across the board. You know, you got no help over the top. You're one-on-one, -on -one, you're on islands. It's very difficult to do that. And Michigan's been very handsy and penalties are really becoming a cause for concern right now for that Wolverine, for the Wolverines defense. So, yeah, I, and that's, that's been the case all year, sadly, which is, which is surprising because I want to say one of the wasn't one of the things that the Harbaugh uh, era has had has done really well the fact that they've barely been penalized. Uh, yeah, I mean, out, outside of just some f some phantom calls here and there with the uh, intent to deceive and things like <laughs> yeah, that, exactly. they, they've been they've been pretty good, you know, on the penalty side. But this year, it, there's just a ton of calls going against them, and especially that secondary. Yeah, exactly, and, and I think some of that, and look, Don Don Brown's a defensive genius, but but you know it's not without uh, criticism. I think, it, you know, like you said, yeah, on islands all the time. Um, I think sometimes, you know, while it works a lot, I think maybe sometimes they get a little bit heavy with the blitzing. I mean, I, I don't necessarily know if you need to blitz on like third down and fifteen. I th I think you could maybe get back and press coverage. Or in coverage, and and maybe use a couple more, especially with that dominant defensive line, you know. Right. Yeah. Like I mean, you you saw it on the on the last play of the game. You know, Northwestern's trying to go for a hail mary, and, and Michigan rushes four, and uh, the and and right away the pocket collapsed. I, I think that 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 is a really good point. It's not a necessity to 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 rush, uh, you know, to rush eight every single. Uh, play, or especially on third downs. So I think that's where a majority of the penalties have come from. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I'm and I'm not going to sit here and obviously second, you know, second guess Don Brown. And you're not either. But I agree with you on that on that front that it doesn't it doesn't need to happen as frequently as probably it did at Boston College. But uh, there is a reason right now, you know, as I looked it up, Michigan right now, this defense, number one in the country in uh, opponents yards per play, allowing just three point four opponents yards per play. And number two. And number three, Washington State at Temple at 4.0 yards per play. So Michigan, uh, it just more dominant than anyone in the country by a long shot right now on the defensive side of the football. Yeah, and a big reason for that is just the number of tackles for loss that they get and, and sacks. And I mean, just the, the Nebraska game alone was just a clinic. And, and yeah, no, so that, like we said, even though we, we have our complaints about this defense at certain points, uh, right. still – playing at a higher level than almost any other defensive unit in the country. So want to look ahead now to this Maryland game coming up. And like we, you know, mentioned, Chris, this is not going to be a cakewalk. Uh, Michigan, you know, obviously a favorite in this game, 17-point favorites coming in, going to be a noon kickoff at the Bakehouse. But Maryland coming in at 3-1 and one on the season. I mean, 
they've beaten, you know, they put a whooping on an undefeated Minnesota team led by P.J. Fleck. They did lose to Temple, but they beat Texas to begin the year. Texas playing good football right now, beat Bowling Green handily. This Maryland team, Matt Canada's got them playing very, very well right now. It's going to be a tough test for Michigan, I think, on Saturday. Yeah, at least at least at the beginning. I, and it's funny because we – I think back, I think it was our last podcast we did where uh, we – it was my dumbass who was like, yeah, Minnesota's, you know, they got, they got an easy schedule, man. Maybe they could, they could win that division. And then they just get just completely blasted <laughs> by, by Maryland. Uh, but, but that, like you said, that was a really impressive performance by Maryland. Uh, and it, they're, they're playing. Uh, it, it's weird because since, uh, even though DJ Durkin is not uh, their coach, uh, it, it, under that era of the last couple of years, this is the best football Maryland's played. Uh, in a while, and yeah, they've got, they've they've been is fairly fairly well tested, but uh, it just I in games like this, I just always go to the fact like they just haven't seen a defense like this, and no, it, they won't for the rest of the season. And and I think maybe in the first half, uh, they might be able to uh, get off to an all right start, but. Uh, in the long run, I just think that this Michigan defense is uh, it just a group of marathon runners, and they're going up against a lot of sprinters. And eventually, uh, as we saw, again, like Northwestern, who came out sprinting and ran out of gas, um, you can only hang with that defense for so long before they break you. And I think uh, ultimately that'll be the case. I still think Michigan wins handily in this one. Yeah, and you look at the offenses, the offenses are very similar. Michigan, about 6.2 yards per play, while Maryland's about 6.1. So Michigan ranks 24th in the country on that front, and Maryland ranks 27th. Maryland, you know, they are top 10 in defensive uh, yards per play around. They're number 9 at 4.3, but it doesn't, you know, it pales in comparison to Michigan's 3.4. And I think Michigan's played the tougher schedule with with Notre Dame and, and two Big Ten opponents and you could argue, you could probably argue that Maryland's played a very good schedule with Texas that first game, but that wasn't the Texas I don't think that we're seeing right now. And we see what Notre Dame's doing right now. You know, after pretty much handling Stanford over the weekend, and I, I think that Maryland is just going to get out physicaled on Saturday. But I do think it is going to be a, a, a close first half. It, it kind of was, I think, in 2016 as well. The first couple of drives were kind of contested before Michigan pulled away with a 56-7 victory or whatever it was in 2016. I think it's going to be close in the beginning, and I think Michigan is going to pull away late second quarter and on into the second half. Yeah, I, I would, uh, and w- one thing uh, as well as I think that this – Michigan's receiving core is improving a lot, and I think we are going to see the playbook open up. And I, they, who knows? Maybe they'll have Chris Evans back. I, is there any word on? I haven't seen anything on, on Chris Evans as of right now. Hopefully, they're going to be able to get it back because I, I mean, when you look at Chris Evans, man, he just adds a whole different dynamic to that offense. Yeah, and, and I think I remember last year when you know it was I think it was it was. Peter's like first or second start at quarterback um, and him and Higdon just completely bulldozed uh, Maryland in that game on the road. And I think that one, two punch, if he's even remotely healthy, uh, will could make a big difference. Uh, so, so I, so Live reports that uh, Rashawn Gary, Chris Evans are questionable versus Maryland. So we don't really know what that means. Obviously, a whole week left to to try and get those guys healthy and playing on Saturday. But, you know, with who's Michigan got coming up, you already have one loss. At this point, you know, you, you can't take any games lightly. E- even a Maryland team coming in who, who we think Michigan should beat handily. But you can't look ahead to Wisconsin-Michigan State because you got to take care of business for either of those two games to mean anything. Yeah, of course. And I... I... I believe after last the way last week's game began, um, I, I'd be surprised if they get off to another. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to be a pristine start, but uh, they they aren't going to come out there and kick rocks like they did against Northwestern. They're they're going to come out ready to play, and 
I think ultimately it'll be another another rock solid Michigan victory. Yeah, the only thing that I'm worried about is that Michigan kind of stays true to the coming out and trying to do some body punches. I, you know, with Northwestern, I'm not sure who won the toss. I don't know if Northwestern won and, and elected to defer, but if Michigan wins the toss and doesn't elect to defer ever if they want the ball I've, I'll never understand that especially when you come out you know a couple three and outs right away against Northwestern I, I'm worried about the slow starts for the offense because they've had a lot of three and outs to begin games this year and that that is a bit of a cause for concern I think yeah uh, it's it's disheartening I mean to start a game without getting a single first down but it's uh, it's even more disheartening just the fact that they they're not only going three and out, but like they're getting kind of punched in the face, yeah. like yep. taking sacks on third and long, uh, more just idiocy, uh, annoying play calling, just guys, uh, con- you know, running the ball up the middle over and over again. And as good as Karan Higdon is, and while he never seems to go down on first contact, uh, it is annoying when when you run two consecutive run plays that get three yards and and put yourself in a tough tough position on third down. Um, it's it's something they need to fix for sure, um, and hopefully they they figure it out. Yes, yeah, so hopefully they're able to come out and you know, punch Maryland in the mouth, kind of walk away with a victory, walk away healthy. That's what you're going for because you have a brutal schedule coming up your next three games uh, after Maryland. And so before we wrap this up, you know, taking a look around the Big Ten, Saturday night, you know, when it's all said and done, no matter what happens in this Maryland game, at least pretty much nothing they do can be as ridiculous at that as that play call that James Franklin and company made on fourth and five in the Ohio state game. Is it the, I mean, obviously uh, recent history might, might have a bias here, but as far as game deciding calls uh, or play calls in, we'll stick with just college football for now. Is it the worst you've ever seen? I I can't think of one worse. I I've been trying. I thought about it at the time, and I've been thinking about anything that's been worse. And it, it's I I can't think of one that that was worse than that. I mean, that didn't have a chance from the get go. Yeah, I mean, I can think of one in the NFL, uh, a, a notoriously famous one, which the the Seahawks uh, electing to oh, throw, yeah. <laughs> yeah. throw the ball in Su- Super Bowl forty nine or or uh, was it forty nine. Uh, 48. Yeah, I think so. Uh, was it, was it 48? 48? Yeah, no, yeah, it was 49, my bad. But, um, yeah, but, but as far as college goes, yeah, I, I don't remember one um, that that asinine. Uh, and, would I mean, would you agree, like, if Saquon Barkley was still there, do you think the call would still be getting as maligned as, as it is? Um. Well, if... So I think the problem mostly with the call is I don't even know if it was a read option. I don't even know if, if I saw McSorley even peek at the at the defensive end, but you're gashing, you know, with that play, most of that second half. So I, I guess I understand maybe the wanting to go there, but you also have to think that Ohio State is absolutely going to be ready for that. But the lack of creativity is, is kind of what it comes out to. If Saquon's there, you want to try to get him the ball in space, right? You know, I mean, this was yeah. just a straight run between the tackles. Right, and, and even even if you run the same play call with Barkley, you there's always the argument of you gotta put you know you want to put the ball in your best player's hands. All right, fine, I can I can I, I could get with that to a certain extent, but he's not there, and uh, it, McSorley, who uh, had been doing a lot of damage with his legs all night and his arm, uh, I, I I don't know if it was a read option or not. I heard, I've heard both. I've heard that it was and that it wasn't. If it was, I think it's kind of a bad look on Trace McSorley because if I'm a quarterback, uh, yeah. yep. I'm a quarterback there. I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to take the ball out of my hands. And I want to throw it. Uh, so I, I think it was just one of those examples of them getting a little bit too cute, and uh, not, not to mention. Uh, 
Um, they took two damn timeouts, man. Yeah, I, I mean, that is the definition of getting too cute. I, I still can't believe that. And not to mention, uh, it doesn't deserve all the blame because their defense on that last drive was shit. It was just yeah. <laughs> that was as bad as it because where did Ohio State start from? Their four or yeah, something like that? Six yard drive. All they did was throw screens. <laughs> they didn't stop them once. So I mean, it was a, it was a great ball game, but for the, it was it's weird. It was the third year in a row. Everyone says the third year in a row where you know the losing team of that game had a you know uh, double digit lead. To me, it's the third year in a row where the inferior team won that game. Yeah. Yep. Because yeah, last because year, Ohio State was outplayed all night. Right. And last year, night. last year I thought Penn State had the best team in the Big Ten. And I think uh and the year before, you know, that was when there was the three way tie or whatever, and Penn State just kinda got uh or Penn State, you know, not 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 lucky, but yeah, I got a bit lucky blocking a field goal and returning it. Um so yeah, that it's definitely a uh one of the defining moments of the college football season. And one th- another weird thing, too, is I think a team that is probably pissed off about that, and I know this sounds weird, is Notre Dame, not just because it didn't, you know, Ohio State stays above them, but no one was talking about the fact that Notre Dame just kicked the shit out of Stanford. Right. Everyone was talking about that play call. And, I mean, Notre Dame just destroyed Stanford. I mean, Notre Dame looks like they are legitimately good and that actually bodes well for Michigan uh if Notre Dame keeps rolling because uh, it means that you know a, a seven point loss to ND opening game of the season um it it could get to a certain point if ND let's say does something crazy like runs to the table it gets to a point where it almost you barely counts even as a loss when when people look at it because it was such so early in the season against such a good team. And and I was watching that Penn State Ohio State game, and I kind of forgot that the Nor- that the Notre Dame Stanford game was going on. Even yeah, it's the it's the first time I think in human history where Notre Dame wasn't like, uh, you know, get, getting a ridiculous amount of attention. Right. And I feel like oh. maybe, I feel like that's kind of when they've been better is when they haven't gotten uh, the the uh, kind of recognition that Notre Dame often gets. When when they're scrappier and kind of fly under the radar, I feel like they're they're better, like they were in 2012, and what seems like they kind of have this year. So just taking a look at around the Big Ten for this week, man, it looks like it's going to be all chalk uh, from Northwesterns at Michigan State, Illinois at Rutgers. Oh my God, how bad is that game going to be? Yeah. Iowa's at Minnesota, Indiana's at Ohio State, Nebraska's at Wisconsin. I don't think we're going to see anything crazy happen this weekend uh, as we move into the you know really that that stretch starting next week. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think. Like every game they play, I think the Michigan State Northwestern game will probably be pretty close for, I would say, majority of that game. Uh, but eventually, I mean, it's just it's kind of, it kind of feel bad for Northwestern just just because it. No matter what, I mean, as good of a job as Pat Fitzgerald's down there, they will always be limited by by what they have, uh, by, you know, by the roster they get, the recruits they get. I mean, they do the best with what they have. But uh, I think this week against Michigan State, they'll probably give them a fight, but eventually they'll, yeah, they'll run out of gas. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty much chalk, but we are excited for it, though. I I don't like that it's already October and that we're going to be, are we going to be at the halfway point? Yeah, six games. We are going to be at the halfway point after this week, eh? Yeah, uh, and it's it's the weird thing about college football that we talk about for uh, how much hype we give it uh, all the time, and and how you know we we analyze it for months and months on end in the off season. It is a short season. Uh, I mean, you don't feel the grind uh, of it. You know, as a fan, obviously, you don't feel the grind of right. it the way that uh, the way that you do with something like baseball, where it's just constant and keeps going. Uh, it ends pretty quickly and part of it is that you really unless you really fuck up you only play like six <laughs> games at the most that are going to mean anything and uh right yeah exactly and i think that's what uh uh kind of that's kind of in the story of michigan season uh this year what meaningful game to start and then uh taking care of business in the last four 
and a, a lot of potential for a lot of meaningful games down the stretch. And that's, you know, that's what we're hoping for. And we think they got the defense to do it and the offense is going to follow suit. And hey, look out for the Wolverines. But we'll we'll have to talk about it next week after this Mar- Maryland game. See if uh, everything we, we think that's going to come to fruition absolutely does. So, Chris, let them know where they can find you on uh on social media and I know this is going to be a, a big month for you and a lot of your videos with the MLB. Yes, uh it, it's it, uh, it's Christmas all month for me. You can follow me on Twitter at Castellani2014. That's at C A S T E L L A N I 2014. I Tiger season is over. I'm going to be making post-game videos after hopefully every single uh game in October starting tonight, uh, or I guess if you're uh, listening to this now, starting yesterday with the Cubs, uh, uh, Cubs-Rockies and a wild card game. Obviously, a lot of sports talk, including Michigan football, so follow me there and uh, hope to see you in my mentions. And you can find me at Luke Giardi on Twitter, L-U-K-E-G-H-I-A-R-D-I. Make sure you go uh, follow me there. Also follow the show at Brewcast Show, and then obviously follow Maze and Brew on Twitter as well. We're keeping you up to date with all things Michigan and the show, and we love to tweet during the games as well. So it's been another great episode here on Brewcast. Hopefully we'll have Anthony back next week, but for Chris Castellani, I'm Luke Gerdy, and we'll see you next week on Brewcast. <laughs>